Chapter Five of Little Fishers and Their Nets by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Great Undertaking. Jerry turned away, whistling. Did you ever notice how apt boys are to whistle when something has stirred their feelings very much, and they don't intend that anybody but themselves shall know it? Nettie went back into the little brown house to see if her mother was comfortable for the night. Her heart was lighter than she had thought it ever would be again. Everything was quiet within the house. The children with their arms tossed about one another, and their cheeks flushed with sleep, looked sweeter than they often did awake. The heart-sick mother had forgotten her sorrow again for a little while in sleep. Where father and Norm were, Nettie did not know. It seemed strange to go away and leave the light burning and the door unfastened. At home they always gathered at about this hour in the neat sitting-room and sang a hymn and repeated each a Bible verse, and then Mr. Marshall prayed, and after that she kissed Auntie Marshall and the others and tripped away to her pretty room. The contrast was very sharp. If it had not been for that new friend whose voice she heard at this moment softly singing a cheery tune, I think the tears would have come again. As it was, she slipped into Mrs. Job Smith's neat kitchen. What a contrast that was to the kitchen next door! The first thing she saw was the tall old clock in the corner. Tick-tock! Tick-tock! She had never seen so large a clock before. She had never heard one speak in such a slow and patronizing tone, as though it were managing all the world. She looked up into its face and smiled. It seemed like a great strong friend. There was nothing very remarkable about that kitchen. At least I suppose you would not have thought so, unless you had just spent an afternoon in the Decker kitchen. Then you might have felt the difference. The floor was painted a bright yellow, and had gay rugs spread here and there. The stove shone brilliantly, and the two chairs under the window were painted green with dazzling white seats. A high, old-fashioned, wooden-backed rocker occupied a cozy corner near the clock. A table set against the wall had a bright spread on it, and newspapers, and a book or two, and a pair of spectacles lay on it. The lamp was in the centre, and was clear and beautifully trimmed. Simple enough things, all of them, but they spoke to Nettie's heart of home. There was a brisk step on the stair, the door opened, and Mrs. Smith's strong, homely face appeared in sight. "'Here you are,' she said cheerily. "'Tired enough to go to sleep, I dare say. Well, the room is all ready for you. I guess you won't be lonesome, for it is right out of Sarah Ann's room, and my boy Jerry is across the hall. You've got acquainted with Jerry, I guess? I saw you and him talking out in the moonlight. I'm glad of it. Jerry is good at chirking a body up, and there never was a better boy made than he is. Now you get right to sleep as soon as you can, and dream of all the nice things you can think of. It is good luck to have nice dreams in a new room, you know. Poor little soul, she said to herself as the door closed after Nettie. I hope that she will be so sound asleep that she won't hear her father and Norm come stumbling home. Isn't it a mean thing now that a father of such a little girl as that should go and disgrace her? Mrs. Smith was talking to nobody, and so of course nobody answered her, and in a little while that house was still for the night. 
Nettie, in the clean, sweet-smelling woodhouse chamber, was soon on her knees, not sobbing out a homesick cry, as she thought she would as soon as ever she had a chance, but actually thanking God for these new friends, and asking Him to be one in this new society, and show them just what and how to do. Then she went into sound sleep, and heard no stumbling nor grumbling, though both father and brother did much of it when at last they shambled home. The new plans came up for consideration early the next morning. Before Nettie had opened her eyes to the neatly whitewashed walls in the woodhouse chamber, she heard the sound of Mary whistling, keeping time to the swift blows of an axe. Jerry was preparing kindlings. In a very short time after that, he looked up to say good morning, as Nettie was making her way across the yard to the other house. "'Don't you want some of these nice chips? They will make your kettle boil in a jiffy.' This was his good morning. He held out both hands to her, full of broad, smooth chips. "'Aunt Jerusha likes them better than any other kind. I keep her supplied. Wait, I'll carry them in.' "'Oh, you needn't!' Nettie said in haste and blushing. What would he think of the Decker kitchen after being used to Mrs. Smith's? But he took long springs across the walk, vaulted the fence, and stood at the kitchen door waiting for her. It looked even more desolate in contrast with the sunny morning than it had the night before. Nettie resolved to blacken the stove that very day. Do you know how to make a fire? Jerry asked. I do. I made Aunt Jerusha's for her two mornings, but it is hard work to get ahead of her. Yes, Nettie knew how. She had made the fire for the supper, in Mrs. Marshall's boarding-house, many a time. She proceeded to show her skill at once. Jerry, looking on admiringly, admitted that she knew more about it than he did. You see, father and I board, he said apologetically, and there isn't much chance to learn things. I'll tell you what I can do, get you a fresh pail of water. Before she could speak, he darted away. There was a sound of feet coming down the unfinished stairs, and Norm lounged into the room, rubbing sleepy eyes, and looking as though he had not combed his hair in a week. He stared at Nettie as though he had never seen her before, and answered her good morning with, I'll be bound if I didn't forget you. Where have you been all night? Asleep said Nettie, brightly. Now I want to have breakfast ready by the time mother comes out, to surprise her. Will you tell me whether you have tea or coffee? Norm laughed slightly. We have what we can get as a rule. I heard mother say there wasn't any tea in the house, and I don't believe we have had any coffee for a month. I'd like some, though, I know that. I've got a quarter. I'll go and get some, if you will make us a first-rate cup of coffee." "'Well,' said Nettie, "'I'll do my best.' She spoke a little doubtfully, having a shrewd suspicion that the quarter ought to be saved for more important things than coffee, but she did not like to object to Norm's first expressed idea of partnership. So he went away, and soon the fresh water came, the tea-kettle was filled, the table set, the potatoes washed and put in the oven— by the time Mrs. Decker appeared, Nettie, with a very flushed face, was bending over her hot griddle, testing the cake she had baked. "'Well, I do say,' said Mrs. Decker, and the tone expressed not only surprise but gratitude. 
There was a pleasant odor of coffee in the room, and the potatoes were already beginning to hint that they would soon be done. The cake that Nettie had baked was as puffy and sweet as her heart could desire. "'I believe you're a witch,' said Mrs. Decker. "'I couldn't think of a thing for breakfast. Where did you get them cakes?' "'Made them,' said Nettie. "'I found a cup of sour milk. Auntie Marshall used to let me make them often for breakfast.' Norm went after the coffee, and I guess it is good. I saved my eggshell from the cakes to settle it. You're a regular little housekeeper, said Mrs. Decker. And so Norm went after coffee. Did you ask him to? Went of his own accord. That's something wonderful for Norm. He used to think of things for me, but he don't any more. Altogether, it was really almost a comfortable breakfast, though it seemed to Nettie that she would never get it ready. She was not used to managing with so few dishes. Her father drank three cups of coffee, said it was something like living, and gave Nettie twenty-five cents, with the direction that he hoped there would be something decent to eat when they came home at noon. Nettie's cheeks were red with more than the baking of cakes then. She was ashamed of her father. How could he speak in a way to insult his wife? They went off hurriedly at last, Norman the father, and the children who had been silent began to chatter the moment the door closed after them. Mrs. Decker, too, began to talk. He thinks twenty-five cents will buy a dinner for us all, and keep us in clothes, and get new furniture and dishes. He will have it that it is because things are wasted that we have such poor meals. As if I had anything to waste. I don't know what to do, nor which way to turn. We need everything. Don't you think we had better clean house today? Nettie asked a little timidly, as they rose from the table and she began to gather the dishes. Clean house, repeated the dazed mother. Why, yes, child, I suppose so. It needs it badly enough. Oh, we can wash up the floor and the shelf. It doesn't take long. There are not many things in the way no furniture to move. But it doesn't stay clean long, I can tell you. Just one room in which to do everything. I might have kept it looking better, though, if I had not been sick. I have just had to let everything go, child. Laying awake nights and worrying have used me up. She took the broom as she spoke and began to sweep vigorously, scurrying the children out of her way. It was a long day and a busy one, and at night the room certainly looked better. The floor had been scrubbed with hot lye to get off the grease, and the stove had been blackened until the children shouted that it would do for a looking-glass. Several other improvements had been made. But after all, to Nettie's eyes, it was dreadfully bare and comfortless. Not a cushioned chair, nor a rocker, nor anything that to her seemed like home. All day she had been casting glances at a closed door which opened from the kitchen, and thinking her thoughts about the room in there. A large square room, perfectly empty. Why wasn't it used? If for nothing else, why didn't Norm sleep in it instead of in that dreadful unfinished attic where the rats must certainly have full sweep? Or why did not her mother move in there with the trundle bed instead of being cooped up in that small bedroom? Or why had they not prepared it for her to sleep in, if they really did not want it for anything else? She gathered courage at last to ask questions. 
Oh, that room, her mother said with bitterness. When I first came here to live, we pleased ourselves nights after the children were in bed, telling what we would have in it. We meant to furnish it for a parlor. We were going to have it carpeted. He wanted a red carpet, and I wanted a brown one with a little bit of pink in. But land, I would have taken one that was all yellow just to please him. And we were going to have a lounge and two rocking chairs, and I don't know what not. And there it is, shut up. I might have had it for a bedroom at first, but I wouldn't. I wanted to save it. And then, when I gave that all up, there was nothing to fix it with. Norm couldn't sleep there without curtains to the windows. No more could we. It is right on the street, almost. And things kept getting worse and worse, so I just shut the door and locked it and let it go. If I had had a spare chair to put in, I might have gone in there and cried now and then but I hadn't even that. I tried to rent it, but the woman who was hunting rooms heard that your father drank and was afraid to come. Oh, we have a splendid name in the place, you'll find. We are just going to ruin as fast as a family can. That's the whole story. In the middle of the afternoon, when Nettie had done everything she could think of, unless some money could be raised and some clothes made so that the children could have the ones washed which they were wearing, she stood in the back door, wondering how that could be brought about, when Jerry appeared in his favorite seat on the sawhorse. "'Everything done up for the day?' he asked. Nettie laughed. "'Everything has stopped for the want of things to do with,' she said. I don't see but that will be the trouble with what we want to do. Why, you can't do a single thing without money, and where is it to come from? That is one of the things we must think up, Jerry said gravely. I have thought about it some. This temperance business needs money. One of the troubles with boys like Norm is that they have no nice places to go to. Boys like to meet together and talk things over, you know, and have a good time, and how are some of them going to do it? The church isn't the place, nor the schoolhouse, and those fellows haven't pleasant homes. The only spot for them is the saloons. I don't much wonder that they get in the habit of going there. I have heard my father say that saloons were the only places that were fixed up and lighted where folks without any pleasant homes were made welcome. Why, just look at it in this town. There's your norm." There are two fellows who go with him a great deal. If you meet one, you may be sure that the other two are not far away. Their names are Alf Barnes and Rick Walker. Neither of them have as decent a home as Norm's, oh, not by a good deal. And he doesn't feel like inviting them into your kitchen to spend the evening. Should you think he would? Warm as the day was, Nettie shivered. I should think they would rather stay out in the street than to come there she said. Well, now you see how it is. They don't stay in the streets, such fellows don't, not all the time. They get tired, and sometimes it rains, and in winter it is cold, and they look about them for somewhere to go. There's a saloon bright and clean, comfortable chairs and good-natured people. It is the only place that says, come in to such fellows. Why shouldn't they go in? I've heard my father talk about this by the hour, in big cities they have rooms warmed and lighted and nicely furnished on purpose for such young men. Only father is always saying that they don't begin to have enough of them. 
but in such a town as this i would like to know what the boys who haven't nice homes to stay in are expected to do with themselves evenings one of these days when i am a man that is the way i am going to use all my extra money i'll hunt out towns where the fellows have just been left to stay in the streets or else go to the rum holes and i'll fit up the nicest kind of a room for them bright as gas can make it and elegant you know like a parlor and i'll have cakes and coffee and lemonades and all those things cheaper than beer and serve them in fine style wouldn't that be a fine thing to do then the first thing said nettie is a room jerry turned round on his horse and looked full at her and laughed you talk as though it was to be done now he said i was telling what i would do in that dim future when i became a man we might begin pieces of it now norm will be too old when you are a man and so will those others there is our front room if we only had some furniture to put in it my auntie marshall made some real pretty seats once out of old boxes she padded them with cotton and covered them with pretty calico and you can't think how nice they were i could make some if i had the boxes in the calico i could get the boxes said jerry i know a man in the blacksmith shop who has a brother in the grocery down at the corner and he could get boxes for us of him i'm pretty sure he is a nice man that blacksmith i like him better than any man in town i believe i could fix covers on the boxes myself and do several other things i have a box of tools and i often make little things i say nettie let's fix up the front room i've often wondered what there was in there would your mother let us have it she would let us have most everything i guess nettie said thoughtfully if she thought it would do any good all right we'll make it do some good let's set to work right away the first thing as you say is a room no we have the room the first thing is furniture i'll go and see mr collins this very evening he is the blacksmith in less than half an hour from that time jerry stood beside mr collins that gentleman had on his big leather apron and was busy about his work as usual boxes he said to jerry why yes there are piles of them in his cellar and out by his back door i should think he would be glad to get rid of some but what do you want of them furniture how are you going to make furniture out of boxes what put such a notion as that into your head and what do you want of furniture anyhow so jerry sat down on a box and told the whole story mr collins listened and nodded and shook his head and smiled grimly occasionally and sighed and in every possible way showed his interest and appreciation and so you too are going to take hold and reform the town he said at last humph well it needs it bad enough if old boxes will help it stands to reason that you ought to have as many as you want i'll engage to see that you get them when mr collins told his brother-in-law the grocer the two laughed a good deal but the blacksmith finished his story with well now i tell you what it is something is better than nothing any day there's been nothing done here for so long that i think it is kind of wonderful that those two young things should start up and try to do something so do i so do i assented the grocer heartily and if old boxes will help em why land they're welcome to as many as they can use 
Tell the chap to step around here and select his lumber, and I'll have it delivered. This message Jerry was not slow to obey. So it happened that the very next afternoon Mrs. Job Smith stood in her back door and watched with curious eyes the unloading of the grocer's wagon. Six, seven, eight empty boxes. For the land's sake, what be you going to do with them? she asked Jerry. Mrs. Job Smith had a great warm heart, but no education to speak of, and no mother had, in her childhood, begged her a dozen times a day not to use such expressions as, for the land's sake. She knew no better than to suppose they added emphasis to her words. Jerry laughed. It is for the room's sake, auntie, he said. We are going to have a cabinet shop in the barn loft. Mr. Smith said I might. I shall make some nice things, auntie, see if I don't. Come up in the loft, will you, and see my tool chest? This last sentence was addressed to Nettie, who had appeared in her back door to admire the boxes. So the two climbed the ladder stairs, Nettie a little timidly as one unused to ladders, and Jerry with quick springs, holding out his hand to her at the top, to help her in making the final leap. Then he took from his pocket a curious little key, which he explained to Nettie would open that tool chest, provided you knew how to use it but he supposed that a man who had stolen it might try for a week, and yet not get into the chest. A skillful touch, and the handsome chest was open before her, displaying its wonders to her pleased eyes. It was a well-stocked chest. Chisels and saws and hammers and augers, and sharp wicked-looking little things, for which Nettie had no name, gleamed before her. "'How nice!' she said at last. "'How splendid!' It looks as though somebody who knew how could make splendid things with them. And I know how, said Jerry. At least I know some things. I spent a summer down in a little country town where father had some business, and the man we boarded with kept a small shop where all sorts of things were made. Not a great factory, you know, where they make a thousand chairs of one kind and a thousand of another and never make anything but chairs. This was just a little country shop, where they made a table one day and a chair the next, and a bedstead the next, and you could watch the men at work and ask questions and learn ever so much. I got so I could use tools as well as the next one, Mr. Braisted said, whatever he meant by that. Father liked to have me learn. He said tools were the cleanest sharp things that he knew anything about. I can make ever so many things. I like to do it. I wonder I have not been about it since I came here. Now what shall we go at first? What does your mother say about the room? She is willing, said Nettie, only she doesn't see how much of anything can be done. She is most discouraged, you see, and nothing looks possible to her, I suppose. That's all right. She can't be expected to know we can do things until we show her. If she will let us try, that is all we need ask. She says that the room ought to have some kind of a carpet. They always have carpets in home-like rooms, she says. And I guess that is so, except in kitchens, of course. Nettie hastened to say this apologetically, thinking of Mrs. Job Smith's bright yellow floor. Jerry whistled. That is so, I suppose, he said thoughtfully. And they don't make carpets out of boxes, nor with saws and hammers, do they? 
I don't know how we would manage that. There must be a way to do it, though. Let's put that one side among the things that have got to be thought about. And prayed about, said Nettie. Yes, he said, flashing a very bright look at her. I thought that, but somehow I did not like to say it out in so many words. I wonder why, said Nettie thoughtfully. I mean, I wonder why it is so much harder to say things of that kind than it is to speak about anything else. Father used to say it was because people didn't get in the habit of talking about religion in a common-sense way. They don't, you know, hardly anybody, at least hardly anybody that I know, around here anyway. Now my father speaks of those things just as easy as he does of anything. So does Auntie Marshall, but I used to notice that not many people did. Your father must be a good man. There never was a better one. Notwithstanding Jerry said all this with tremendous energy, his voice trembled a little, and there came one of those dashes of feeling over him which made him think that he must drop everything and go to that dear father right away. When he comes after you and takes you away, what will I do? Nettie's mournful tone restored the boy's courage. He laughed a little. No use in borrowing trouble about that. He is afraid he cannot come back before winter if he does then. I'm going to get him to let me stay here until he does come, though. And now we must attend to business. What will you have first in my line? Chairs, tables, sofas? Why, anything you say, ma'am. And both faces were sunny again. End of chapter 5